All right, we get back into the Word this morning in our series called Truth, a study in Colossians. And this morning we are focusing uh, on the supremacy of Christ. And so if you can look with me, uh, and we can read together Colossians 1, 15 to 20, it says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, There's there's perhaps uh, no other passage in the Bible that conveys the supremacy of Jesus and his action within his creation that rivals that of Paul's words to this church that we just read here this morning. In regard to Jesus, what, what other way do we let a lion defend himself other than to open the gate of the cage and to let him out? Paul does this here. As we learned a few weeks ago, the Colossians were facing false teaching that added to the gospel of salvation. In essence, they were being taught that Jesus' work was not enough to save. But they were being influenced to think that they needed to add to uh, the gospel of truth. And so what does Paul do? Does he get defensive? No, he lets the lion out of the cage. He talks about Jesus. And he places Jesus on the throne in his rightful place. He doesn't defend God, but he lets God defend himself. He begins with Jesus, and our first point this morning, Jesus' relationship to God. Jesus' relationship to God. What is Jesus' relationship to God? We look uh, to verse 15. The word of the Lord says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, as we focus in on this, on this one verse, we're going to focus first this morning on kind of the more difficult aspect of, of verse 15. If you notice, there's a phrase in there that might throw you for a loop. It's the statement that the Son, who's the Son? Jesus, is the firstborn over all creation. What does this statement mean? Does anybody agree that that statement seems a little peculiar? That Jesus is the firstborn over all creation? It seems as though Paul is stating that Jesus was, was created. Which if, if you've been in the church for very long, that would be against Christian doctrine and Christian teaching. If you said that Jesus was a created being, you would be called a, a heretic. You would be committing heresy. If this is confusing to you, you're not alone in just reading that passage. In church history, some of the greatest controversies stem 
from an incorrect view of the humanity and, and deity of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? That's the, the humanness of Jesus, and then my made-up word for this morning, the godness of Jesus, okay? The deity. The humanness of Jesus and the godness of Jesus is oftentimes in church history been something that can be misunderstood. A misunderstanding of this, of this biblical doctrine has led to the cult of Mormonism. The misunderstanding of this doctrine has, has led to the emergence of Jehovah's Witnesses. Two very clear examples of a group of people misunderstanding the full deity of Christ, so the godness of Jesus, and the full humanity resting in Him together. And those are not the first instances of this misunderstanding. You see, in the, in the 4th century, if we look at, at church history, a man named Arius challenged the teaching of Christ's full deity and humanity. We know in church history this is called the Arian Controversy. And this was a major issue in the early church. In essence, Arianism asserts that Jesus was God's first creation. Arius misunderstood passages such as this one here in Colossians and others as we read throughout the Gospels that emphasize uh, the human aspects of Jesus, such as Jesus being tired, Jesus growing in knowledge, we find Jesus grieving at the, the death of Lazarus. Uh, we find Jesus getting hungry. All these things that point to the humanity of Jesus. And so how do these things happen? How do we misunderstand? Because this person, I'm going to assume, Arius, did not have the breadth of knowledge of the whole of the Scriptures. He was looking at a few instances and then taking verses and applying those to who we know as Jesus is. Jesus is fully human and fully man. Fully human and fully God. I almost got that wrong this morning too. <laughs> and I want, to, I want to pause here for just a second because this is the danger as followers of Christ. If we don't dive into His Word, I know I've been talking about this every week, knowledge of God the whole counsel of God, reading Scripture, learning from people around you, investing into uh, your discipleship and who you are as a follower of Christ is important because if we don't, we can get things wrong. Arius was wrong. Okay? I want to be clear. The Mormon church is wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. They don't follow the same Jesus that we follow because they assert that He is not who He says He is in Scripture. And with that, they have twisted Scripture in ways to try to help them in their argument. I want to be clear about what this, this statement means because we have to get this right. Paul's intent of this statement is to emphasize the sovereignty of God resting in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Okay, He is the firstborn over all creation, not in the sense that He is a creation of God, but rather that He is, is God Himself in the flesh. He's the second member of the Trinity. And as that, Jesus is, is granted the rights of the firstborn Son. That is what Paul is saying here. That Jesus has 
the rights as the Son of God being unified with God. And what does that mean? Let's think of it in property, okay? In this culture, you handed off the rights. The Father gave it to the firstborn Son. That is lordship over the Father's estate. Control, sovereignty. And Jesus has granted those rights. The firstborn Son. He is Lord over His Father's estate. What is God's estate? Everything. All of creation. Scripture says what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What is that saying? He owns everything. It's all His. Jesus is Lord of all. Wow, my watch is talking to me. He is Lord over everything. You see, He was not created. He has eternally existed. And we find evidence of Him all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. Okay, Genesis 1.26. Let us make mankind in our image. We see the Trinitarian nature of God right there in the very beginning, in the first book of our Scriptures. Let us make mankind in our image. What is this referring to? God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We were created in the image of God. Moreover, we see that the angel of the Lord meeting God's people all throughout the Old Testament. And I am certain that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ carrying out His redemptive plan before He put on flesh and came to earth. Meeting God's people right where they were at. Sovereignly influencing His creation and exercising the Father's plan of redemption. McGee says it this way, He came out of eternity and took upon Himself humanity. He came out of eternity and took upon Himself humanity. The Nicene Creed, which is a response to uh, this controversy that we talked about earlier, this council said this, says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, and what does it say? Begotten, not made. Jesus is not a creation of the Father. And church, we have to understand this because I've done research and the, the church is missing the mark on this doctrine. There are many professing Christians who were pulled in, uh, there's a ministry called Ligonier Ministries, they have a website, and they do an annual poll on basic Christian beliefs. And there were a lot of people that claimed to be Christians that think that Jesus was the first creation of God. That is incorrect. Jesus is God. He is fully God and fully human. The creed goes on to say, of the same essence as the Father, through Him, all things were made. Jesus is the same essence, or we could say substance. I preached on this back in California a little bit, this, this creed, and you guys kind of have the same 
language as the place I came from. He's the same stuff. Okay? Sometimes essence doesn't compute substance. Stuff, I know what stuff is. Jesus is the same stuff as the Father. That makes sense? He is fully God and fully human. He did not begin when He took on human flesh. He was not God's first creation. He is, He says this, I am. The title of God is I am. Jesus is I am. He has always existed from eternity past and forevermore. Moreover, at the beginning of this verse, Paul tells us this. He says, the Son is the image of The image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? Jesus. Look at Jesus. Read your Gospels. You want to know what God is like? Read your Gospels and you see God in the flesh walking on earth. He is the image of the invisible God. If you ever wondered, what is God like? It's right here. Right here in the Scriptures. What is God like? Right in here. Read. He's loving. We see that He's loving in the Gospels. We see that He's kind. We see that He's caring. We see that Jesus has everything that He does has purpose. We talk about him leaving the 99 to what? Go get the one. Nothing that Jesus does is an accident. Everything is purposeful. And because of his life, we can look to God and say, I know that God is purposeful. There's nothing that's an accident. God has never been in the heavenly restroom and come out and been caught off guard because you did something stupid. He is in control. He's purposeful. Here's one other thing that we learn. And this is something we miss. We only want to view God as loving. We only want to view God as caring, as patient. But through the life of Christ, we see God being righteously angry. We want to view Jesus as some white guy with wavy hair. Kind of looks like he's from California catching a wave, right? On the surfboard. Jesus went into the temple courts and he cleared them out. It says he, he braided a whip and he cleared out the people trying to make money off of God's business. Jesus went to the self-righteous Pharisees. And what did he do? He pointed his finger in their face and he said, you're wrong. Who did he surround himself with? Sinful, broken people. Time and time and time. Again, church, what can we gain from this? Who should we be surrounding ourselves with? Where should our ministry lie? With sinful, broken people. We are never above that. Because Jesus wasn't above that. And if anybody could be above it, Jesus could, and He wasn't. He showed us how to live. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus Christ. And here's the the interesting thing. 
Jesus didn't go out into the world and yell and scream at people and be angry with them. Who was He angry with? The people who supposedly had it all together. The Pharisees. The self-righteous people. He might have been right in the churches across America saying, you have it wrong. That's who Jesus was around. He was around people that were far from God and He sought them out and He brought them in and He loved them. He called them on their stuff. He called them to repentance. He didn't leave them where they were at. But Jesus came and He met needs and He showed people that He loved them. He showed people that He cared for them. And then He said, repent and believe. Follow me. Walk away from that. Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like. And our mission as followers of Christ should be to look like Jesus. And so we want to act the same way. We want to be loving. We want to be kind. We want to be caring. We want to be purposeful. I've got to share this story. I love, I was reading on uh, Facebook the other day, and so, it was somebody that goes to our church, a teacher. They were going through state testing, and this teacher mentioned how to love Muslims in the school who are going through what festival did they just have? Ramadan or something like that where they, they fast? You know what I loved about that? It wasn't, you're wrong, you got it wrong. It was, I'm going to love you right where you're at. And because I'm acting like Christ, my hope and prayer is that doors will open to have gospel conversations. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to meet People that are far from Christ, right where they're at, love them right where they are, show them kindness, show them patience, show them love, and through that, gospel conversations will open up. We don't have to go up to people who are far from Christ and point in their finger on day one. We can be patient with them. We can love them. We can meet them right where they're at. Right where they're at. Trust me, those conversations will come. What else does this passage tell us? Number two, talks about Jesus' relationship to creation. Jesus' relationship to creation. It says here, Colossians 1, 16-17, it says, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I want to focus your attention first on this, this idea of visible and invisible. It says, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. You see, all things have been created through Him and for Him, including those things that we do not see. What are those things that we, we do not see? Church, there's spiritual things going on all around you. 
God is sovereign over those things too. Why? Because He created them. What is this saying? Jesus created the angels that surround us. Jesus also created angels that rebelled against Him. We know the great deceiver is as Satan or the devil. And we know that there are other angels that fell that are demons. I want you to hear something this morning. God is even sovereign over those things. How do we know this? I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to reassure you and pulling information out of space. God's holy scriptures tell us so. Matthew 8, 28, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. Verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of Gatherings, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Who is speaking to Jesus? These men who are possessed by demons. This is the demons speaking. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us out into the herd of pigs. Then what does Jesus do? He said to them, Go. What does this passage teach us? Do we worship a God that is in control? That even the demons, when they saw him, say, hey, if you're going to do something to us, send us over into those pigs over there. I know it's hard to wrap our, our mind around this concept, but God is so sovereign, his creation is so under his control, that even the demons have to be allowed to do something. Jesus drove them out. Did they have any choice in the matter? No, they couldn't resist. They had to do what he told them to do. And sometimes we, as followers of Christ, think we are so victimized by Satan. Satan made me do it. No, you made yourself do it. You let his whispers in your ear push you towards that thing, that sin. Stop being weak. You worship the God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, that drove demons out of demon-possessed men into pigs. He's a big God. Stop making God this little thing that can't do anything. No control. No power. He's a big God. He has control. We talk about this every week. You have the power of God within you, the Holy Spirit. You have the same power within you. Lean into that. I'm going to sound harsh here because the, the Satan made me do it. That's a weak argument. Be rooted in Christ. Lean into the Holy Spirit and resist. Resist that temptation.
The reformer, the church reformer Martin Luther says this of the devil, to summarize. The devil is God's devil. The devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. I don't know how all of that works, but it all works to bring about a purpose that brings God great glory. We see it in the book of Job. Jesus has control over everything. That shouldn't bring questions to our mind. That should bring great rest. That I can rest in knowing that I worship a God that's in control. Isn't it terrifying to think that God isn't in control of all these things? I, I don't think I could sleep at night if I, if I thought that God didn't have his hand in everything that was going on. It's because I am confident in his sovereignty that I can put my head down on the pillow at night and I can rest. Because I know that God is holding everything together. We see that in Jesus' relationship to the creation. Our first point here is creation is in Him. In Him. Verse 16, the beginning of verse 16. says, For in Him all things were created. Jesus precedes the creation. It was in Him. Number two, it was through Him. All things have been created through Him, through Jesus Christ. So it is in Him, it proceeded from Him. He, was, he proceeded before creation, He was here before it. It's in Him, and also through Him, He created. He did the act. He is the action of God. All things have been created through Him. And number three, for Him. All creation is for Him. I want to challenge us. How dare we look at His creation and just cast it off to the side? God's just going to burn this place up anyways. How dare we do that? This is His creation. It's for Him. It's for His glory. That we can look around and we can see God all around us. We can see the beauty of God as we go out and we walk and we look at these beautiful trees that you have here in Kentucky. We can see it in the, in the sound of the water rushing along the creek. Do you ever pause to think about who created all of those things? That's when we're out and we're, we're recreating and we're having fun. Stop and pause a second and look around. Look around at the, the little turtles resting on, on the log. God created those things. They jump off in fear as you come by. If you have my kids with you, they're going to dive in and grab them and try to wrestle them around. God created the wind that, that rushes through the trees and creates that beautiful sound. God created the rolling hills with the, the green grass. And all of his creation points to him. I want to be clear, we don't worship the creation, but when you're out in the creation, worship God. Open your eyes. 
This is a gift that He has given us. Humans walking the earth to look around and see all these things that God has created for us. It's for Him. It's for Jesus. He sustains it. What better way for Jesus to show His glory... And God must bring glory to Himself too. God has to glorify Himself than to make new. Jesus is making all things new than to make new what others have messed up. You see, humans, we mess things up with sin. We brought a curse upon His creation and yet Jesus is still sustaining it. Scripture says that he, he looked at what he made and he said what? It wasn't just good. It was very good. All to bring glory to himself. These, these three aspects of Jesus' work show the power of who he is. Jesus isn't simply some Jewish carpenter who lived well and was a good teacher. He was God in the flesh. He's the power of creation. I read it this way. He's the glue that holds all things together. And all of creation is for Him. It's all about Him. He preceded it, so He was before it. He created it. He sustains it. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper says this of Jesus. He says, Listen, listen to these words. It starts big and then gets smaller and smaller and smaller. He says, When Jesus looks at His universe from His exalted throne at the right hand of the Father, and He sees the great galaxies whirling in space, the planets, and then the people upon this planet, and all the minute details of life here, including the details of your individual life, there is nothing he sees anywhere of which he cannot say this word, mine. It's all Jesus's. When you look up in the sky and the stars painted across the sky and the moon full and bright, Jesus created those things to, to show his glory. And he's in control of those things all the way down. There's not a speck of dust that's outside of God's control. Jesus says, mine. Church, I want you to rest in that this morning. We can have confidence in a God that is that, is that big, that is that sovereign. Stop making God small. Let the lion out of the cage. God is big. Number three, Jesus' relationship to the church. This passage talks about Jesus' relationship to God. Jesus' relationship to creation, and now Jesus' relationship to the church. 18 to 20, it says, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? By making peace through His blood shed on the cross. What is Jesus' relationship to the church when we read this passage? 
He's what? He's the head. Jesus is the head of the church. No church should exist where the leadership is not going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Jesus, how do you want us to lead these people? Jesus, how can we bring you more glory? Because you're the head. It's not me, it's not the elders, it's not the deacons, it's not the most opinionated people in the room. Jesus is the head. What's Jesus' relationship to the church? He's the head. I love this. He says this. Paul says this in the next verse. He says, He is the firstborn from among the dead. What is this talking about? Resurrection. How does he wield this power? We talked about this last week because he's the only person who said, I'm going to die and then raise from the dead and then accomplish that. It's the resurrection. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Again, more encouraging news for you, church, because we've been given that promise. That promise of eternal life. And not just an eternal life where we're clothed in diapers strumming harps on clouds. An eternal life where your broken, messed up body will be made new and perfect. And God's creation will be made new without sin, without death, without brokenness. That is what's embodied in that promise. The firstborn from among the dead. Those words are so loaded because it means so much comes forth from the resurrection. You see, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ has established a new relationship between God and His creation. We call this this new creation. And this, this new creation is manifested right here and right now in Christ's relationship with the church, with Christians. We are the first of His new creation, being made new inside through salvation in Jesus Christ, through Him giving His Holy Spirit within us as a mark, as a promise that we will always be in His family. We are His new creation. Church, God has has chosen to show you, to use you as the light of the world. Christ's work continues through the church. Do you feel the weight of that this morning? That He wants to use you, followers of Christ, to be His billboard to this community. Of what new creation means. Of what new life means. You are God's plan. You are God's missionary. You are God's light. You are God's instrument. You are God's tool. You are God's handiwork. To show the lost His love.
That's what Christ has done for us. He has reconciled us, not so that we can sit around and create a little holy huddle of a few people and don't let anybody in. He's reconciled us so that we can be a billboard of His righteousness and His love to this community and to lost people all around the world. We're not to keep this news inside of us, but to spread it to everybody who needs it, which is anybody who hasn't been reconciled to Jesus Christ. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Fixing things. And how do we fix things? Not by our willpower, but by leaning into the power of Jesus Christ, which is the Spirit within us, to drive us each and every day to point people to Jesus and His love. And if we look at the life of Christ, that doesn't happen by going up and pointing your your finger in people's faces and telling them they're going to go to hell. It's manifested through love and meeting needs and building relationships and then saying, you know what, I love you enough that I'm willing to tell you that you're headed to a place that's going to be really uncomfortable if you don't have Jesus. I was up in uh, Cincinnati on Friday night to watch my Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Cincinnati Reds. There may or may not have been five home runs in that game. All of which were hit by the Dodgers. Anyways, before the game began, we were out just kind of viewing the skyline around the stadium. I I like being in the city. I love seeing different places. I've never been to Cincinnati before. Uh, It seems like a beautiful city. So we're, we're looking around and I saw this pickup truck driving through the streets. And it had a big billboard and a TV on it. I hope the owner of that truck's not in the room, but... I'll give you the gist of what it said. You're going to hell if you don't have Jesus. Which is a message I agree with. Do I agree with the method? No. Have people been saved through that means? Probably. I know if I look at the life of Christ, that he created relationships with people. He met people right where they were at. He got to know them. Then he called them to repentance. Why do I use this example? Because oftentimes the church can be viewed as just being the negative force within society, pointing at people and pointing at people and telling them they're wrong. They don't have the truth inside of them, church. They don't know. You have the Spirit of God inside of you pointing out your sin. They don't. Meet those people right where they are. That's what Jesus did. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. And again, because of this, everything that you do matters. There is not a task in your life that is mundane. Everything has meaning. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign over all of those things. What are those things? Your job. Your job has meaning. Your workplace has meaning. God did not take you there by accident. 
Your unsaved coworker that drives you nuts, God has you there next to them for a reason. Show them grace. Show them love. Point them to Christ. Your job matters. And until God moves you from that place, act like you're never leaving. Be rooted in that place. Be invested. Showing the love of Christ to person after person after person after person. Your job matters. And because your job matters, work like it. Read Colossians 3.23 this afternoon and then apply that to your work. We're not working for our boss, our earthly boss. We're working for the boss. Act like it. Everything matters. Your family. Your family matters. Invest in your kids. Disciple your kids. Invest in your spouse. The way you act around the house, it matters. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But use those instances where you're imperfect to show your children and your spouse the love of Christ by coming before them when you mess up and saying, please forgive me, I have wronged you. Give me grace. What a powerful message to our children that when we get it wrong, that I can go back to them and I can say, I messed up. I reacted out of anger. I yelled at you for the wrong reasons because I had a bad day at work and I took it out on you. Would you forgive me? What a powerful message to our children if they could grow up in a household where they see that kind of humility from their father or their mother. Everything matters. Your service to the church, it matters. God sees what you're doing. Whoever trimmed up the bushes along the education wing out here, the preschool, children's ministry, I saw it and God saw it. Thank you. It matters. This job up here on the stage is not more important than the things that people are doing around this campus. Thank you for your service to this church. If you're here week in and week out, Your service matters to the body of Christ. Those of you who invest in our children every single week, thank you. Those of you investing in our students, our youth ministry, our junior high and our high school, what I would say the front lines of culture, school, thank you for influencing those lives. Your work matters. You may not get thanked all the time, but you're noticed. We thank you. Your service to the church matters. Your service to the community matters. People in your neighborhood should know who you are. Because you should walk past that border of your grass. It's interesting. Out here, if you mow, and you have like another foot that is your property, the guy next door won't mow that little foot in between. I found that from personal experience. (laughs) walk past and mow your neighbor's little strip that they missed (laughs) 
Christ has called you to be influential in your neighborhoods. You should know the names of your neighbors. You should be having dinner with them. You should be interacting with them. That's your first mission field. That's your Jerusalem. God has placed those people in your life not to get angry and annoyed with them, but to invite them to church to come and hear the gospel. What else matters? Your, your stewardship of your personal resources. God is sovereign over your home. God is sovereign over the vehicles that He's blessed you with. God is sovereign over, dare I say it, the finances that you've been given. He wants you to steward those. He wants you to give to the mission His church. This isn't some shameless plug to try to get you to give more money. But we have to see that Jesus is over everything in our life. He's not over just the things that you want to let Him be over and then I have ownership over this stuff. The stewardship of of His creation. Everything matters. Do we care about this place that we call home? Do we take care of it? Do we invest in it? Again, we don't worship it. We don't worship the creation. That's a dangerous thing. We worship the Creator. But we care about this place because it's His good creation. All of these things point to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's Lord of the estate. I ask you this question this morning. Have you handed it all over to Him? Have you handed it to God and said, Jesus, You're Lord of my life. I let You into every nook and cranny of my life and I want You to inform how I live. Have you handed it all over to Him? Is He sufficient for you? Is He enough? Hear me, I'm preaching to myself. I have to ask myself this question. Is He enough or am I acting like He's not enough? And I want to declare to you today, Jesus is enough. Whatever it is that you're going through is not bigger than God. The lie to the Colossian church was that they, they needed something other than Jesus. Paul clearly declares that Jesus is enough because He is God Himself. Jesus is God Himself. Too many times in our life, we, not, we may not be getting some sort of false teaching directly, but we act like it. Because we're so distraught when things don't add up and don't line up that we act like it's like we've, we've lost our salvation because this thing isn't working. Is Jesus Lord over that thing that you're out, you think is out of control in your life? I don't have enough money. My family's a mess. Have you handed it over to Jesus? I'm not promising everything's going to be fixed according to your plan, but it will be fixed according to His plan. Are you going to trust Him with that? 
Jesus is enough. Jesus didn't just ask for everything and not give you anything. Jesus gave us everything. Jesus left his throne and came to earth and he took on human flesh and he walked where we walk. He lowered himself to come. He gave up everything to prove to you that he wants you and to make it happen. Not only to prove to you, but he makes it happen through his action, through his perfect life, through his death on the cross. He reconciles, and through His resurrection that He promises to us. Jesus gave up everything for you. Are you willing to give up everything for Him? Are you willing to look into every square inch of your life And just as Abraham Kuyper say, Jesus, that's yours. You can take it. Every square inch. Maybe it's your comfort zone. Can you let go of your comfort zone? I want to warn you, as we preach the gospel, people are going to come in here and they're going to be saved and they're not going to line up to your Christian standard that you have. They're going to say things that may be offensive to you. They're going to wear things that may be offensive to you. Are you ready for that? Is Jesus Lord over that? I want to challenge you on that this morning. Are are you ready? Are you ready to sit next to somebody in this church that doesn't measure up to your standard? That's who Jesus sat next to. I don't know about you, but that's who I want to be like. And I want to challenge you this morning. It's it's not going to be easy. That type of ministry is not easy. It's real easy to surround yourself with people that think and look and act like you. It's not easy to be surrounded by people that are different from you and that make you feel uncomfortable. Those are the type of people that Jesus came to save. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that kind of ministry? Because that's the kind of ministry that God's called the church to do. The type of ministry to meet people right where they're at. Right in their sin and brokenness. Put your arm around their shoulder and say, come. Hear how Jesus can help you. Hear how Jesus can heal your spiritual wounds. God has chosen to work through you, church, to be the light. Ray Ortland says this, a quote in the end of your notes. He says, The promise of the gospel is not about you going to heaven to be with Jesus alone. The promise is that all of God's people 
all of God's people will be with him in glorious community forever. We will be a city, a new Jerusalem, the true and eternal dwelling place of God among his people. Church, we have a glimpse of that here this morning, the gathering of God's people together, joining together to worship, to hear the word, and to hope that people that are lost come in here and hear the gospel and turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. This morning, as we transition, we have a a picture of that communion with Christ. We receive communion each and every week here together, the Lord's Supper. It's a means of grace that God has given us as the body of Christ to remember the cost of our sin. To remember what it cost Jesus. The bread and the juice, they, they symbolize things. The bread symbolizes the, the body of Christ broken for you. Nailed to a cross. He carried your sin. Scripture tells us that He became sin. He became your sin. Because of His act on the cross. And because He became sin, He gave you His righteousness. The juice this morning as you come forward represents His blood. His blood was a covering for your sin. We call this atonement. And because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin, but He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to urge you this morning as we get up and as we sing as you walk forward to the different stations around the room, to be reflective. How has God spoken to you this morning? How has God spoken into the way that you work or the way that you parent? How has God spoken into your marriage? How has God spoken into your relationship with your neighbors? How has God spoken into the relationship with your community? And within that, are there things that you need to repent of? Are, you, are there things that you need to ask forgiveness for? As you come forward or as you go back to the back station, think about those things and seek forgiveness in God. He has forgiven you for those things. In your life, if you have broken relationships, if you have broken relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to call you this morning. Let those things go as you come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. God restored our broken relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You can forgive somebody who has wronged you. Do it this morning as you receive communion. If you're in the room and and you're skeptical of Jesus, you don't know what this is about, the gospel has been preached here today. It's very simply this. That you've sinned and you have broken your relationship with God. And that Jesus sent his, or God sent his son, Jesus in the flesh, to live the perfect life for you. And Jesus was nailed to a cross for you and he sacrificed himself and he gave up his life for you. But on the third day, he raised from the dead, defeating death. If you place your faith and trust in him this morning, 
He will make your relationship right with God. You receive His righteousness. He takes your sin. And if that's you this morning, I want to urge you to come forward and receive communion with your church family for the first time. And if you've made that decision today, there's going to be some elders and leaders across the front. Go to them and talk to them. Tell them the decision that you want to make, and they'll pray for you, and they'll help you uh, with your walk going forward. Then during the last song, our ushers will come forward. We'll receive an offering this morning that's going to go to further the mission here of North Bullet Christian Church. I want to ask you to pray with me here this morning. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we declare here this morning in this church, and we unify behind the message that he is fully God and fully human, that he is supreme and sovereign over all things. Lord, we're thankful for his death on the cross and his reconciliation. God, we're thankful that he gives us purpose and reconciliation in carrying out that work. And we pray that, that we would take that work seriously, that, that you would stir in our hearts to go out and transform our community with the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray for our hearts this morning as we receive communion. Help us to repent of known sin. Help us to repair broken relationships, Lord. And I pray for those in the room if they do not know you, that you would stir within their heart this morning your Holy Spirit, that they can place their trust in your finished work on the cross, that they can be reconciled to you, that they do not have to carry the burden of their sin alone anymore, but that you will carry that for them. And their guilt and shame will be taken away. Lord, give them confidence this morning to place their faith and trust in that message. God, as we sing, let us lift our voices as those of people that have been redeemed, looking to you and your great victory on your throne, declaring your words here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every person in this room as we go out and we declare your gospel to a lost creation. Be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.